0: I feel completely privileged to be here because like God's going to speak through me just like he's going to speak through you and to be a vessel of the Lord is so amazing. Um, There's nothing that I I deserve at all. It's nothing that I know or none of my knowledge at all. I want to put that all down, but it's all for Jesus and it's all his knowledge and all his goodness and all his victory and that's what we're going to talk about. So I had an idea about a sermon that I was thinking about a few months ago. You guys probably see some of my posts on Facebook and political correctness, and I was going to get a little bit political with you guys, but the Holy Spirit began to have his sermon. I like that. (laughs) And he took me to this phrase, the triumphal procession. Now, the first problem was, I was like, Lord, I, I can barely say the title of my own sermon. I mean, it's a bit tough here. What, what does that mean? Has anybody heard of a triumphal procession? Oops. we got some people who have, some people who haven't. I don't know about you, but I don't go saying, hey, pastor, how's your triumphal going? Okay, we, okay, well, that's awesome. But we're going to learn about what the Lord said regarding this phrase through the Apostle Paul. And this is going to set us free because it's for freedom that Christ set us free, amen? And Christ paid paid everything for us. He paid our sin debt. He's the propitiation for all the world, the Bible says. He paid our, our sickness by his stripes. We've been made whole. We can claim everything Christ did for us in every area of our lives. And we need to just put that on the table right now, okay? So before we begin... I'm going to give one, maybe two seconds for our mind because oftentimes when we talk about victory, there's a little little question mark that goes off in our mind that says, well, I don't feel so victorious right now. I feel, I feel a little defeated. So, we're going to be talking about the victory of Christ and what I want us to do is put that little question mark out of our thoughts, Okay. I'm sure we can all identify with areas we're weak in, even areas we struggle with, habits, hang-ups. There's addiction. But you know what? We, that second song was awesome. His blood broke the addiction. His blood set us free. So we need to just put aside that thought that would come to deceive us by Satan that would say, well, Christ did a good thing, but there's no but. Christ is all. The victory Christ did, that's it. There's nothing more. There's no other step. There's no other program. There's no other teaching, but it's what Christ did for us. Amen? So let's pray. Lord, thank you, Father, for coming and meeting with us and giving us your presence and your Holy Spirit right now. I ask, Father, that I'd go away, that uh, my thoughts and ideas would go away, and, Father, what you say would be manifest in this room today. Father, renew our minds by your word and open up our hearts to receive your truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other God, no other way to salvation but through Jesus Christ. And we say you are welcome, and you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ask or think or even imagine. And so we give those question marks to you. We give those struggles to you. We give those areas to you right now. And we say, Lord, We reach out in faith and receive your victory. We thank you for this. In the mighty name of Jesus, all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, the main verse is Colossians 2, 8 through 15. And let's stand for the reading of the word. Let's stand in his presence. Hallelujah. Paul is writing and he says, he starts out, see to it. And also, there's some bolded words here, and I want you to look at the bolded words because this is a military theme, a theme of triumph that we're talking about. And I want you to pick out the themes that Paul says in here of triumph. Paul says, "...see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily." And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh and by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is powerful and unchanging. And the word of the Lord is what we need. And so I'm just going to let that stand. You may be seated. Thank you. We're going to let that stand and we're going to just receive what God's word said. And I'm, I'm just so privileged to be here because this is a teaching, preaching church. Amen. Pastor teaches with such depth the word of God. And I've been privileged to grow up here for 18 years just being, just being taught the word. And all our answers are in the Word. We don't need a theology or a theologian to come drift us from the Word. We need to always go back to the Word and what the Word says. And what Paul wrote in Colossians is everything we need to live righteously, to live victoriously, to live triumphantly. Okay? Now, the second verse is 2 Thessalonians 2.14. A bit shorter, but Paul says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us In triumphal procession. So the last verse, that verse 15 in Colossians 2 and 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul uses this phrase, the triumphal procession. It's only used twice in the entire Bible. Okay? And only by Paul. And Paul experienced something that we don't really experience in our day-to-day life. Paul was chained to a Roman when he wrote these things, and he was in Rome, and he was appealing to Caesar, okay? And he experienced the brutality of Rome. We don't know about that brutality today. We don't know about a one-world government. Rome was brutal, they were powerful, and no one did anything against Rome. Rome created crucifixion. Rome created torture, okay? He didn't mess with Rome. And Rome had this thing called a triumphal procession. It comes from the Greek word, uh, Strong's G 23rd, 2358, Triumbiu. It means to triumph, to celebrate a triumph, uh, come to a triumph, and make an acclamatory procession. This is where we get the word triumphal procession. Okay? It's used twice in the Bible. This was Rome's greatest, most spectacular celebration. I want you to imagine with me being in the city of Rome and hearing the chariots and the soldiers come in and the gates opened. And you can feel the vibrations of these chariots. You see, the victor would come and he'd have four white horses pulling his chariot. And the captives would go before him. Okay, The captives that were decimated in battle that were overcome, would be paraded before, right before they were crucified or beheaded, they would be paraded before the generals and the victor, in front of all the city, in front of the women and the children. And there's nothing more humiliating than for a powerful general, than for a powerful leader of an army to be humiliated in front of women and children. The innocence of society. Rome would take the innocence of society and humiliate the strongest Of their enemies in front of them. This was not your Macy's day parade. (laughs) This was brutal. I I was gonna show some reenactments that I found on YouTube from some shows about Rome and everything else, but it's too brutal to show in church. You know, but we have to take ourselves back to what Paul saw. Paul saw this, Paul experienced it, Paul smelled it. He could smell the horses and the people, he could feel the vibrations. Paul was there, and he's the one who used that phrase to say, this is what Christ did for us. See, it's time that we stop looking at the devil like he barely lost, okay? <laughs> Satan didn't even get into the game. Satan, Satan was defeated before the battle ever started. Satan Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, okay? Our our enemy was defeated before he was even our enemy, amen? We need to understand that the power of God utterly decimated and humiliated him. That's what Paul says. Look, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, open shame. The King James made a sport out of it, made a sport out of it. We, we we think oh Satan's our enemy and oh how terrible and I'm under attack and I got all this problems and sin and temptation and all these things coming against us and you know what Jesus said you're going to have trials but be of good cheer I've overcome the world amen amen Amen. okay we're not ignoring the life that we live in this this life but we're saying we're going to stop looking at Satan and giving him power and authority because he has none he has nothing over you You are saints and victors in Christ. And what Christ did was so brutal to Satan. It's something that we've never looked at before. You know, we see the passion of the Christ and how he was crucified. And the passion of the Christ could not show everything. NC-17 could not show everything. Jesus took on our sin on that cross. But you know what? Jesus said, is that it? Is that all you got? He wasn't wasn't afraid for his life. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down and I have authority to pick it back up again. Come on. No one took Jesus' life from him. No one murdered Jesus. Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice. And Jesus took all our pain and all the violence that Rome could put against Christ. And he said, that it? Because it's finished. That's what Jesus said. He wasn't He wasn't bullied. He wasn't pushed around. He took it, and he decimated the enemy. He humiliated the enemy. He put him to sport. This is an amazing teaching that the Holy Spirit's doing, and this is something that's going to be on the forefront of eternity for all of eternity. This is the story that heaven will speak on for the rest of eternity. There's no rest of eternity. Eternity is beyond time, but Heaven will speak of this and this only. I want to tell you something. Heaven's not speaking about who won the Oscars the other day. Heaven's not speaking about your trials and your tribulations. Heaven's not speaking about ISIS and man's nuclear war. Heaven is speaking about the triumphal victory of Christ. And that's it. That's it. That's the only thing that matters. Now, in a triumphal procession, Only a dictator, consul, or praetor could participate. So even if you got yourself a victory, you couldn't enter into a triumphal Roman procession. You had to be one of those things. Okay? Now Julius Caesar was a dictator. A dictator is a ruler with total power over a country and typically one who obtains that power through complete decimation. Okay? Julius Caesar was a dictator, and his grandnephew was Gaius Octavius, whom we know as Caesar Augustus, whom Luke opens up to in the gospel. Now, Caesar Augustus was his grandnephew. Caesar Augustus started by taking a tax of the entire world. That's, I don't know about you, that's um, a bit much. Tax the entire world? Okay, the entire world listens. Look, America, the greatest... Country, most powerful country in the world. We can't even get Al Sharpton to pay his taxes. Come on. I mean, <laughs> what's going on here? This grand-nephew got the whole world to pay taxes. And uh, Julius Caesar was by far one of the most brutal, one of the most uh, accomplished conquerors in the day. In 52 BC, Caesar conquered Gaul. Now we'll put up that. Uh, there's a picture of a famous painting You guys can look at that. Caesar lost some battles, but eventually the Roman siege worked. Okay, this is where they would siege the walls and just let people starve and everything else. And uh, it forced Versing an astute commander, he's seen here, to surrender in absolute decimation. Okay, now again, this was not some small battle. Okay. Plutarch writes, one million soldiers were killed by Caesar, one million. And another million were taken as captive. So when we go back to that Roman triumphal procession, imagine a million men captive, an army, totally decimated, totally defeated, completely under Caesar's power and rule, a million men. So Caesar overtook two million men quite easily. Uh, Today, the entire active enlisted force of the United States military, strongest nation in the world, is 1,137,916 soldiers. Caesar effectively took two of our armies. Or, not armies, militaries. That's all the branches of the military, including um, the other one, Cole knows more about that, but I just thought that was quite intriguing. We're not talking about a small victory here. In fact, Caesar destroyed 800 cities. 800 cities. One was a, a vercarium with a total population of 40,000 people who were all murdered. Diamond Springs here has 11,000 people in it. So one of those 800 cities had 40,000 people. This is some powerful stuff. This, this leader, this dictator, is powerful. You don't get a procession a triumphal procession, unless you are this type of power, okay? This type of battle, this type of victory. I'm not talking about a small victory. Paul knows this. Paul's seen this. The world knows this. You don't don't forget about someone like Caesar. The world remembers Caesar. Everybody knew Caesar. And Paul says this is what Christ did for us. Let's just remember that. We're talking about the triumphal procession. The second person you needed to be was a consul. This is an official appointed by a government to live in a foreign nation. Because remember, all those cities uh, Caesar's taking over, well, now Rome is going into foreign lands and destroying them. So this was a consul. And he promoted the, the government's interest there. Okay, And then we have our praetor, which is the commander of an army, an elected magistrate, and according to William Eyne of the author of the book, researches into the history of the Roman Constitution, the king of Rome was the principal magistrate. And this principal magistrate had absolute power. He was a chief priest, he was a lawgiver, and he was a judge. And the sole commander of the army. Now I want us to look at those three terms. Remember, these three things are needed for a triumphal procession. And I want us to see a pattern here. How does Jesus fit into this? Well, Jesus has absolute power as a supreme dictator over all the universe. The Bible says, through him all things were made in John 1, 3. See, Jesus is absolutely dictator. This doesn't have to be a bad word. You can be a good dictator. He is supreme. Nothing happens without Jesus knowing, without Jesus allowing, without Jesus saying okay. Okay? Like... God with Job. Okay. You can, you can tempt him. You can test him. But you can't do you can't kill him. Satan has no authority that God hasn't first given. Amen. Okay. Jesus came as a foreigner to his own who knew him not. He is a consul. Right? In fact, Isaiah 9-6 says, and the government shall be on his shoulders. He is a perfect consul. Amazing how this all worked out. And Jesus is praetor. He's the commander of the Lord's armies. Jesus said this before he was crucified in Matthew 26, 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus is a commander of the Lord's army. And he is also our high, our high priest, as Hebrews 4 Fourteen says, and as 2 Timothy 4.1 says, he's the supreme judge over all the earth. So this is amazing how Jesus completely fulfills all the requirements for having his triumphal procession. And that's why Paul said, it is Christ who always leads us in triumphal procession. So you are being led in this victory that the whole world takes notice of. You are being led and victory over your enemy who is crushed beneath your feet, the Bible says. Hallelujah. Now, see, God said in, right up, right in the garden, that the enemy would bruise Jesus' heel. Now, when we go back to that picture of the Passion and what Jesus took and how he was beaten and crucified and his flesh torn from his, his back and his front, it's amazing. Horrific picture. God the Father says that's a bruise on his heel. That's it. God said, but he shall crush Satan's head. Now, I want you to think, if that's what a bruise looks like, what does Satan's head look like? (laughs) Amen? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Satan is completely crushed. All right. So Jesus has a kingdom, and Jesus is Lord. And there's no room for compromise. And Pontius Pilate understood this and started trying to get Jesus off the hook. Pontius is like, Pilate's like, okay, this is, I, I see nothing wrong with this man. And then when Jesus said, you know, not of my kingdom, it's not of this world. And Pontius Pilate was like, okay, we gotta, we gotta do something else here. But why? What would, would, a, would a common thief? make a ruler like Pilate nervous? No. A Roman ruler? No. No, we need to understand what these people, what these men saw, what they lived in. They wouldn't be nervous if one of us was up there being ready to be crucified. If Jesus answers not a word and Pilate's sweating and trying to get him off the hook and washing his hands because he wants nothing to do with it, why? He's afraid. Because he saw the power of Christ. He saw the Lordship of Christ, He saw that Christ is the only true, the true King and Lord of Lords. There is no other, there's no other. Hallelujah. See, the greatest, most glorious single event in all eternity is the triumphal victory of Christ. There is no other talk. There's no other speech going on. There's no other glory. There's nothing we can attain to. There's nothing we can study more than this. See, if Christ did not conquer, and if Christ is not king, if he did not lord it over Satan and decimate him, then like Paul says, we are a most I don't know we're just a weak desolate disparaged people if Christ is not risen we have no hope if Christ is not victor we're dead in our sin Without Christ's eternal enduring victory, there's no hope, there's no joy, there's no life, and certainly there's no unity with the Father. So, let's understand this eternal one. Let's understand and look now into what he has won for us. And let us never again, for the rest of our lives, ever think for a second that we're weak when we're in him. Because when we're in him, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. When we're in him, we have no need to be questioning authority. He is authority. If we're under his authority, we have authority. Okay? We're ambassadors. ambassadors. An ambassador is one who has authority to preach the gospel. There's so many times people say, who, said, who, gave, you the, who gave you say to say that? I said, the word of God. The word of God says I can't. The Word of God says go and preach to all the world. So don't, don't get afraid if they say, oh, you can't pray here, you can't preach here. No, the Bible says go and preach to all the earth. Amen? And that's what we're called to do. Why? Because we've been empowered to do it. Why? Because he won the victory and he leads us in triumphal procession. I only have two points here, but I covered all the outline. But point number one is Christ's triumph leads us in triumphal procession. He leads us. Now, isn't that awesome? I mean, Christ is leading. Now, 2 Corinthians 2.14 again says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. I'm glad I'm not doing the leading. <laughs> I, I, that's, that would not go out very good. Okay? When we're doing the leading, we have no authority, we have no power, we have no strength. Because flesh cannot be victorious over flesh. Just can't, okay? We must be led. This is a key. We must be led by Christ or else we're being carried captive by a defeated enemy. And how sad to be captive to one who we don't need to be held captive to. He's defeated. He's decimated. He's completely chained up. All his power has been stripped away. But you know what? If we're not led by Christ... We'll be led by him. And you know how Paul opened up Colossians 2? Remember he said, be not, be led captive by what? Philosophy and empty tradition, worldly traditions. What is all that? I was starting to think about that. Is that, you know, Marxism, communism? Is that the political correctness going on in this world today? You know, it's something deeper. It's humanism. The philosophy, the philosophy of the world has always been one thing and one thing only. Man can do it man can do it. That's humanism. Humanism is about man. Guess what? The Bible says man lost that authority in the garden. When Adam crumpled under sin, goodbye, it's over. We don't have that authority, but Christ does. Christ is the second Adam, Paul writes. He's a second Adam, meaning he overcame and accomplished what man could never do. Therefore, we are to live in Christ, not in our own strength. Because if we live in our own strength, then we're going to be taken away captive. Because guess what? The Bible says we're sheep. It's time we get used to that. The Bible says you're not in control of your own life and destiny. How many movies and TV shows is out there, it's always like, fate, destiny. Like, look at all the Marvel stuff, and it's family-oriented. Well, you know what? It's all about fate and destiny. You make what you will. Well, the Bible says no. You're either going to be held captive by Satan, or you're going to be captivated by Christ. One of the two. Choose it. Okay? Amen. Paul says, see to it, no one takes you captive. Point number one under this first section. Satan's greatest effort. Satan's greatest effort. Hey, look over there. Did you see that? <laughs> Satan's greatest effort. Distraction. I could have made a loud noise, but I didn't want to damage the, the sound system here because I, I like the sound system greatest, Satan's greatest effort is distraction. Look, we have this thing called flesh, and we have these things called appetites and desires. Satan must, all he needs to do is get us to turn our eyes off of Christ, and we get distracted, okay? What happened? Even a defeated enemy can defeat a distracted saint. Even a defeated enemy can defeat a distracted saint. The Bible says, keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of your, your faith. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. What happened to Peter? We see this amazing thing happen where Peter started out good, Matthew 14, 30. Peter gets out of the boat. He's got, he's got power because of his faith. He's, he's, he's bold, isn't that? I mean, come on. Jesus gave him some power. He's walking on water, doing good. And there's a storm. And he starts looking at the storm, he starts sinking. Now look, I'll give Peter the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you're walking on water and there's a great storm. probably going to look at the storm, some waves going up, look at that. Isn't it interesting what we look at, what we focus on, we gravitate towards. So if we're going to focus on our sin, if we're going to focus on our destruction, on our defeat, that's everything Satan wants us to do. Remember the past, remember the sin that you did, remember how many times you failed. Remember, you keep failing. Like, you're, you're, you're not capable to do anything. Thank you, Satan. I know I'm not capable. That's why I'm dead. And now I've been raised to new life in Christ. Hallelujah. Who always gives me the victory. So I'm not going to look on the past. Paul says, I don't look to the past, but I press forward looking ahead. Okay? But when, when Peter looked at that water, he sank. But immediately, Jesus reached out his hand. Here's a key for you. In our weakness and in our setbacks, his victorious, righteous right hand is still there to hold us up. Amen? That's amazing. That's joyful. Even on our setbacks, I want you guys to get this. Even in setback, even in defeat as a Christian, going back to something we shouldn't go back to, Jesus reaches out with his righteous, victorious right hand, which has all triumph and all victory and all power, and reaches and saves. We need to understand this. Hebrews 12:2 says, "Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're now in." That's a message. And I like that because that's sovereignty, okay? God God's not just cheering your race and saying, "Oh, I hope they do good. I hope they don't get distracted. I hope they win." Jesus started the race and he finished the race. Like is he's all sovereign. So you're in the race, but you're not alone. He's already won the race for you. Now you're running in him. That's why, remember, he always leads us in triumphal procession. Okay, here's a key. John three fourteen. Jesus said this, and Jesus was referring to Numbers 21, 9. Very interesting, very interesting thing that happened. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness so that the Son of Man must be lifted up. Okay. What is Jesus talking about? In the wilderness, the children of Israel were bit by poisonous snakes. They had some disobedience going on. Moses created this bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and anyone who looked at the serpent was healed. Now, Jesus is the one who makes the similarity and says, so likewise, they'll put me on a pole, and lift it up, and we must look to him. Jesus was put on a cross, lifted it up. Okay, look, we've all been bitten by the snake of the devil with his poisonous lies. Okay? And we need to look to Christ for our healing. That's what it says. If we'd only look to Christ, if we'd only look to Christ, how many of us are struggling to do and to perform and to be? It gets awfully tiring. Jesus said, just look. Just look, because it's all about him and not about us. It's about his victory and not our performance or our victory. And I'm getting into point number three Satan's greatest push is performance. We have grown up in a performance based society. We teach our kids to perform well in school, in college so that they can perform well in a career, so they can perform well with material possessions and you know, have what we think they should have. You've got to have your house and your car, get your family. It's all performance. If you start to look at our lives, and even what we teach our children, it's all about performance. How good are you doing? You need to do better. So it's natural we bring this mindset to Christ. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross, appreciate it it's very good but i got it from here got my 12-step plan and got a three-point bullet plan from church i go to church read read my daily devotional got it from here gotta perform the bible says all our works are like filthy racks we can't perform we can't perform good enough See, Jesus said, remain in me, not perform for me. I'll say it again. Jesus said, remain in me. He didn't say perform for me. John 15:4. no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. The entire epistle of the Galatians is Paul writing and saying, who deceived you? You started out in grace and now you're performing by works. Who bewitched you? How easy it is for us to look at another Christian or to look at our past and say, I wish I was further along. To look and say, that person seems to have victory. I keep struggling. I keep falling. I keep stumbling. What's going on? I need to do more. I've been in this position. I've been there many times. And that's not victory. I'll just say it plainly. You cannot have victory when you're performing. But when you surrender, then you get to be have you get to have victory in his performance because his performance is the only performance that did anything. His performance is the only thing that eternity listens to. His performance defeated our enemy once for all, crushed sin, dealt a blow to Satan, and he has raised us up in him. So we don't have to perform anymore. And I think right now we can all just take a breath and thank God and say, Hallelujah. I'm glad that we don't have to perform to be recognized, but we must what? Look to him and abide in him. Amen? So we've seen some of Satan's, some of his his works. And I'm going to go back to point number two. This is the last point of Satan. Satan's greatest exertion is counterfeit snares. And I like this as ending up on this for, for his stuff, is because after we've tried to perform, after we've been distracted, if he can't get us to do that, then he tries to get a counterfeit going on. Now, this is a crazy, crazy thing. I began to look at how Satan is a, quite a great strategist and military personnel type of guy. Not a guy, but this fallen angel. He's defeated. Yet, he can still get some victories here and there. How does someone do that? And as defeated as he is, how does he do it? This is what Satan does. He gets us to go after a counterfeit for the thing we already have. See, God has given us the perfect gift himself. But Satan gets us to go after something similar, but it's counterfeit and it's a snare And so we spend our time working and trying to go after something we already have. It's a crazy, horrific type of deception. We see this in the garden. God made Adam and Eve in his image. Satan's already defeated. Satan fell from heaven like lightning. Satan's defeated. Adam was the first Christ. Jesus is the second Adam. Adam could have had complete dominion and continued that had he walked in his victory. Because Satan's defeated. Satan has no power. But what? Did, what did a defeated enemy do? You're not exactly like God. God's keeping some stuff from you. You just got to go after the counterfeit and you're going to get what you've been wanting. You're going to get what you think you need. But guess what? They already were made in God's image. That's amazing. So it's amazing how he tempts us with something we already have. And that is such a disaster. But what we need to do is key. We must receive by victory. We, we receive the victory by faith. Galatians 2.20 says, The life I now live in the flesh, okay, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the key. Okay, so we live by faith. To receive the victory by faith and the one who gave himself for us we're not being looking at the counterfeit well maybe i want something over here maybe that's going to help me no christ gave himself for us paul says this he's given us christ won't he give us all things all our promises are yes in christ we have it all we have it all there's nothing we could need more nothing we have everything in Christ and so when the temptation comes to follow a counterfeit we need to by faith say wait a second the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me Christ gave himself for us that's all we need there's no other thing we need amen point number two coming down the home stretch Christ's triumph raises us to new life. Amen. That's it. That's all we need. Okay? Remember section number one? Christ's triumph leads us in triumph because he's leading us in this triumphal procession. Point number two, Christ's triumph raises us to new life. Colossians 2.13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven All our trust passes. And it's awesome that we're we're talking about the Exodus, and that's the theme for this year, because I've been in Genesis and I've been in understanding the Abrahamic covenant and everything God's doing and the circumcision. God started with Abraham. And then God was leading me to Colossians and Paul's talking about this. What it's talking about is God has cut away the flesh of sin. And again, it's not our strength, and it's not our work or our performance. He did it. And what did sin bring? Sin brought death. Point number one, because I, by the way, I left blank so you guys could fill it in in your outline. It's like a, in my Bible college, college classes, we uh, have a lot of fill-ins, but our sin brought death. But Christ brought triumph over sin and death. The living Jesus is always in control. And like I mentioned earlier, no one took his life from him. He laid down his life for us. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord and I have authority to take it up again. Death is but a sting, Paul reminds us. Where, O death, is your sting? The sting, th- this is still First Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin, And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the what? The victory. Say it, what? The victory. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. His victory. Jesus overcame sin and death. Therefore, we do not have to fear death. Colossians two fourteen. Remember what it said: by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he cast aside and nailed it to the cross. All of our sin debt, all of our deeds, all of the things that Satan could point to you and say, "Do you remember this? You you know when you did that? You know you've been just terrible, ter- terrible sinner, and you're always failing and always sinning. And you're like, wait a second, that's nailed to the cross." Satan, you got to look at the cross, because that's where you were defeated. Amen. Christ nailed it to the cross. That should give us some joy right now, because I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of Satan bringing up the past. I'm sick and tired of Satan trying to think that I'm a defeated foe. No, he's a defeated foe. That's what a liar does. The Bible says, God says, Satan's been a liar and murderer from the start. He's the one who's been lying from the start. He's the one who's been deceiving from the start. But now it's time to receive the word of God and enter into our triumphal procession. Okay? Romans 6.22 says, We are free from sin, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in the end, eternal life. How can we remember the sin God freely conquered and forgets? We remember it because we want to deal with it in our own strength. We remember it because we want to perform. We remember it because we want to say, this is how much I've grown. Look at what I've done now, God. I'm doing much better in my Christian walk. It's not your walk. He leads us in triumph. It's not our walk. It's his. It's his victory. It's his eternal life. Not ours. I'm thankful because God has been setting me free through this whole thing thing, and I know he's going to be setting you free, too. Because you know what? We all have areas that we struggle with in these, in these issues, in these lies from Satan. And we all need to understand the triumph of Christ more. See, the key is Christ's triumph is not about getting us to sin less. I'll say it again. The key. Christ's triumph is not about getting us to sin less. It's about breaking the power of sin over us completely. This is not an episode of Fixer Upper. Oh, I do like those guys. Chip and Joe. This is the resurrection to new life. We triumph because Christ raises to new life. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me and loved me. I have been crucified with Christ. Say it with me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is I who no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Therefore, the life I now live and the body of flesh, I live by faith and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Amen. Praise God, Galatians two twenty. Paul is giving us his the the Lord's truth right there. Okay? So Christ put off our sin. Point number two we are resurrected with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, like we said. So we're doing great. We're almost done. But you know what? I want this to be a lesson that we continue to search out for the rest of our life. I mean, this has to be, like I said, like the, the Holy Spirit said earlier, because he literally gave this to me. And I, I want to study this for the rest of my life. But the Holy Spirit said this is what eternity is studying. This is the only thing. Christ's triumphal victory is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing eternity is talking about. It's the only thing that catches heaven's ear. It is finished was the only phrase that caught heaven's ear. This is very interesting. How many people, you know, and maybe even have said before, I believe Jesus died for my sin. Okay? A lot of people say that's the gospel. I believe Jesus died for my sin. That's one-fourth of the gospel. Jesus rose from the dead, gave us victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You might say, well, Matthew, did you take math? Because you just said one-fourth, and then you gave... Isn't that the full gospel right there? Jesus died for our sins, and then he rose again? That's the full gospel. No, that's half of the gospel. You see, the first part is, Jesus died for our sin, the propitiation for our sins, actually, which is, he's in place of our sin. And John says, not only ours, but the whole world. The second part, so now we're half of the gospel, Jesus Christ rose from the dead in victorious, conquering victory. The third part of the gospel is we have now died with Christ through baptism and been buried with Christ. And the fourth part of the gospel is we are now resurrected with Christ in victory. You see, a Christian who only believes in Christ and his victory but hasn't been resurrected with Christ is not going to live in victory. I'll say it again. A Christian who believes in Christ and knows about Christ but hasn't been crucified and then raised with Christ will not live in victory. We must be crucified. We're buried with him in baptism. We're raised up into new life. Since then, Colossians 3.1, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things of God where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This whole concept is Paul is basically saying, look, since you've been raised with Christ, now let's talk about more stuff. Since you've been raised with Christ. How many Christians forget that part? Too many of the gospel, too many preachers, too many people are just focusing on Christ dying. They're not focusing on the resurrection, not only that, they're not focusing on their death, and they're not focusing on Christ's resurrection in us. Again, it's not having the room redecorated, <laughs> it's having the whole house destroyed. And I know a little bit about a house being destroyed, so I mean, you know my story. The whole house gets destroyed. And the Lord builds a new one. Amen. God's not concerned with trying to make us a less sinner. God's concerned with making us a new creation in Christ. That's an awesome, amazing victory right there. And finally, I'll end with this. And we know this, because this is what the Holy Spirit's been saying all night. Christ triumphed over our enemy. Paul ends all of this amazing statement with, he disarmed the rulers and authority." Put them to open shame by triumphing over in them. And 1 John 3, it says, this is why Jesus came, to destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah, that's it. That's why Jesus came. So why are we even giving him opportunity? Why are we giving him thought? Why are we even having that question mark in our head? But I like the sermon about triumphal possession And wow, God is amazingly victorious, but I feel defeated. Let me tell you something my house flooded seven months ago i moved back in finally last week the rain brought in another flood and another room moved myself back into the apartment got sick wednesday thursday my eye swelled up and i was all like coughing it had some mold in my house and all the dust and here the lord's been putting on the triumphal procession to preach on and i'm thinking i don't feel very triumphal right now i feel sort of defeated uh, like, this is, uh, you want me to preach what, Lord? Okay. Okay. This is, uh, this is intense. But look, God is triumphing even when we feel weak. Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Hallelujah. And guess what? The Lord has been able to use me to witness to people at the various hotels I've stayed at, at the apartment I've stayed at, you know. And Wednesday, or it was Thursday morning, I'm still feeling sick go back to bed I wrote a little email to my my work it's 5 a.m. and then pastor's sermon comes into my brain stay in the game get in the game I'm thinking why am I going to bed just to get some rest I should be quoting scripture what a thought I don't have to stay sick by his stripes I'm healed his blood cured me hallelujah I got the new blood inside of me I'm saved and resurrected with Christ guess what I went to work and I haven't turned back I'm feeling good Hallelujah. God is good. Praise God. So amen. Pastor, we're good. Do you want me to pray? Or? Okay, well, this is a triumphal procession, and I want to pray over y'all. And as pastor is led, if he wants to do an altar call or something, but let's pray because I know the Lord is looking to set us free from any issue that we may have. So Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Father, that you are victorious and you have come. You came down and you rose again. You said, "I, I lay my life down and I take it back up again. And Father, I pray over each of your saints who are mighty in Christ and have triumphal victory. Lord, that their lives are filled with joy, their lives are filled with your presence. And Father, they look not at the enemy, but they look at the cross, and they look at the resurrected Christ. And I thank you, Father, you have not only left us there looking, but you have taken us up into yourself, and you've raised us to new life. And now we're seated with you in heavenly places. So I thank you, Father that you have not left us an orphan. You have not left us alone, but you have gathered us to yourself, and you have comforted us, and you've strengthened us, and you've given us your spirit. And thank you, Father, that now we triumph with you because we're being led in you, and we're not being confused, and we're not being distracted, and we're not looking at a counterfeit, and we're not performing, but we're looking to you and your performance, which ended the war and won all the battles. And so, Lord, we freely give to you right now any area, that we're struggling with, we give to you, and we thank you in Jesus' name.